Well, Merry Christmas. How's everyone doing tonight? You guys doing good? Awesome. We, we just want to say thank you for being here. If you're a first-time guest, thank you for coming. I know there's so many places that you could be tonight, including probably at your house doing some last-minute Christmas wrapping. If you're like our family, we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be wrapping a few more presents tonight. So thank you for being here. You say, man, what is momentum? I'm so glad that you asked. Here, here at Momentum, we um, are a community of Jesus followers who together are an unstoppable force for good, and we're driven to change the world. That's what Momentum Church is all about, is a community of Jesus followers. And so just we want to say thank you to all first-time guests. I would love to meet you afterwards, and we have a first-time guest gift that I'd love to put in your hands and just our way of saying thank you for coming. Thank you so much. You know, Christmas is so special, isn't it? Don't you love Christmas? I think about so many different traditions and so many different Christmas memories that I hold so near and so dear to my heart. I love Christmas because there's nothing like bringing family together. There's nothing like the kids waking up at 3 a.m. and pouncing on you. Get up, get up, you know. I think I'm officially old not because I just turned 37, but because I'm at the age now where even on Christmas, I, I might like five more minutes of sleep, you know, and uh, the kids, you know, they don't want any part of that, but we, we love, love Christmas. Tonight, we're going to do some incredible stuff. One is I, I'm going to bring a message, and I'm going to share that here in just a minute, and then afterwards, we'll sing a song, and then we are actually going to take communion. We're going to take the Lord's um, Supper together tonight. That will be a special time, so good stuff. I want to uh, just start off tonight, if I can, and i like to read a story, and this story, I believe, will touch your heart like it arrested mine. Five-old Madeline climbed into her father's lap. Did you have enough to eat? He asked her. She smiled. She patted her tummy. I can't eat anymore. Did you have some of Grandma's pie? A whole piece. Joe looked across the table at his mom. Looks like you filled us up. Don't think we'll be able to do anything tonight, but go to bed. Madeline put her little hands on either side of his big face. Oh, but Papa, this is, this is Christmas Eve. You said we could dance. Joe feigned a poor memory. Did, did, did I now? Why, I don't remember saying anything about dancing. Grandma smiled. She shook her head as she began clearing the table. But, 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 Papa, Madeline pleaded. We always dance on Christmas Eve. Just you and me. Remember? And a smile burst beneath the, his thick mustache. Of course I remember, darling. How in the world could I ever forget? And with that, he stood, and he took her hand in his, and for a moment, just a moment, his wife was alive again, and the two were walking into the den to spend another night before Christmas, as they had spent so many, dancing away the evening. They would have danced the rest of their lives, but then came the surprise pregnancy and all of the complications. Madeline survived, but... Mama, Mama didn't. And Joe, the thick-handed butcher from Minnesota, 
he was left to raise Madeline alone. Come on, Papa. She tugged on his hand. Let, let, let's dance before everyone arrives. And she was right. Soon the, the doorbell would ring and relatives would fill the floor and the night would soon be passed. But, but for now, it was just Papa and Madeline. You know, the love of a parent for a child is a mighty force. Consider the couple with their newborn child. The infant offers his parents absolutely nothing. No money, no skill, no words of wisdom. If he had pockets, they would be empty. To see an infant lying in a bassinet is to see utter helplessness. What is there to love? Whatever it is, mom and dad find it. Just, just look at mom's face as she nurses her baby. Watch dad's eyes as, as dad cradles the child and just try to harm or speak evil of the infant. If you do, you'll encounter a mighty strength for the love of a parent is a mighty force. Jesus once asked, if we humans who are sinful have such a love, how much more does God, the sinless and selfless father, love us? But, but what happens when the love isn't returned? What, what happens to the heart of the father when his child turns away? What happens? Rebellion flew into Joe's world like a Minnesota blizzard. About the time she was old enough to drive, Madeline decided she was old enough to lead and to live my own life. And that life did not include her father. I, I should have seen it coming, Joe would later say, but for the life of me, I didn't. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know how to handle the pierced nose and tight shirts and didn't understand the late nights and the poor grades. And most of all, he didn't know when to speak and when to be quiet. She, on the other hand, she had it all figured out. She knew when to speak. To her father, never. She knew when to be quiet, always. The pattern was reversed, however. The, the lanky girl that was her friend and the kid from down the street weren't exactly the best kind of friends for her. He was no good and Joe knew it. There was no way he was gonna allow his daughter to spend Christmas Eve with that kid. You'll be with us tonight, young lady. You'll be at grandma's house eating grandma's pie. You'll be with us on Christmas Eve. Though they were at the same table, they, they might as well have been on different sides of town because Madeline played with her food and she said nothing. Grandma tried to, to talk to Joe, but he's in no mood to chat. Part of him was angry. And part of them, part of them was heartbroken. And the rest of him would have given everything just to know how to talk to his baby girl. Yes, the baby girl that once sat on his lap. Soon the relatives arrived, bringing with them a welcome and also an awkward silence. And as the room filled with noise and people, Joe stayed on one side, Madeline sat quietly, angrily on the other. Put on the music, Joe, reminded one of his brothers, and so Joe 
did. Thinking she would be honored, he turned and walked toward his daughter. Will, will you dance with your papa tonight? The way she huffed and turned, you'd have thought he had insulted her. In full view of the family, she walked out the front door and she marched down the sidewalk, leaving her father alone, very much alone. You know, the Bible tells us that we've all done the same. We've all turned our back on our father, spurned the love of Father God. Each of us, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, each of us has chosen at a point in time to do our own thing. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes our rebellion even a step further and says that we've done more than turn away. He says we've turned against the living God. In verse 10 of Romans chapter 5, he says that, that at a point in our lives, before Christ's love, that we are Christ's enemies. Harsh at Christmas, harsh, harsh words. An enemy, that's an adversary, one who offends, not out of ignorance, but by intent. I mean, does that really describe me? Does that really describe you? Have we ever been enemies of God? Have we ever turned against our Father? You know, have you ever done something that you knew was absolutely wrong? Have you done it knowing it was wrong? Have you ever supported or applauded the work of the devil? Have you ever turned against your Heavenly Father in public? If so, I think we probably all have taken a similar role of the enemy. So how, how does God react when we become his enemies? Madeline came back that night, but not for long. Joe never faulted her for leaving. After all, what's it like being the daughter of a butcher? I mean, hello. In their last days together, he tried so hard. He made her favorite dinner. She didn't want to eat it. He invited her to a movie. She didn't want to see that movie. She stayed in her room. He bought her a new dress. She didn't even say thank you. And then there was that spring day. He left for work early to be at the house when she arrived home from school. But wouldn't you know, that was the day that Madeline never came home. A friend saw her and her boyfriend in the vicinity of the bus station. The authorities confirmed the purchase of a ticket to Chicago, where, where she went to anybody's guess. The most notorious road in the world is the Via Villarusa, the Way of Sorrows. And according to tradition, it is the route that Jesus took from Pilate's Hall to Calvary. The path is marked by stations frequently used by Christians for their devotions. One station marks the passing of Pilate's verdict and another the appearance of Simon to carry the cross. Two stations commemorate the stumble of Christ. Another, the words of Christ. And there's 14 stations in all, each one a reminder of the events of Christ's final journey. You know, so often we've heard that Christmas is about Jesus coming to be born a baby. And he came, the Bible says, to seek and to save everyone that was lost and Really, everyone is lost apart from God's love. But it doesn't stop there. There was more than the cross 
Jesus did come to die, but he came for a much bigger reason than to die on the cross. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Do we, when, when Jerusalem was stored, when it was destroyed in AD 70 and again in AD 135, the streets of the city were completely devastated. And as a result, the truth is no one knows the exact route that Christ followed that Friday, but we do know where the path actually began. You see, the path began not in the court of Pilate, but in the halls of heaven. The father began his journey when he left his home in search of us and armed with nothing more then a passion, a passion to win your heart and a passion to win my heart. He came looking, hide and seek. His desire was so singular to bring his children home that the Bible has a word for this quest. It's a big word. It's reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling or bringing the world back to himself. The Greek word for reconcile means to render something otherwise. It reattaches the unraveled, reverses the rebellion, rekindles the cold passion. It touches the shoulder of the wayward and it woos him homeward. The path to the cross tells us exactly how far God will go to call us back. The scrawny boy, you remember him, he had all the tattoos and crazy attitude. You see, he had a cousin, and the cousin worked the night shift at a convenience store south of Houston, and for a few bucks a month, man, he'd let the runaway stay in his apartment at night, but it had to be out during the day, which, fine with them. They had big plans. He was going to be a mechanic. Madeline just knew she could get a job, at least at a department store, but of course, he knew nothing about cars, and she knew nothing about getting a job and keeping one. But can you imagine that that didn't keep them from trying? In fact, after a couple weeks, the cousin changed his mind, and the day he announced his decision, the boyfriend announced his. Madeline, Madeline found herself facing the night with no place to sleep, no hand to hold, and it was the first of many, many nights woman in the park told her about the homeless shelter near the bridge, and for a couple bucks, she could get a bowl of soup and a cot. A couple bucks was all that she had. She used her backpack as a pillow, and she used her jacket as a blanket. The room was so rowdy, it was hard to sleep, and Madeline turned her face to the wall, and for the first time in several days, Madeline thought to herself about the whiskered face of her father as he would kiss her goodnight. But as her eyes began to water, she refused to cry. She pushed the memory deep inside, and she determined, I'm not thinking about home. She'd gone too far to go back. The next morning, the girl in the cot beside her showed her a fistful of tips she had made from dancing on tables. She said to herself, this is the last night I'll ever stay here. Now I can pay for my own place. The girl said, oh, by the way, they're looking for another girl. You should come by. So she reached into her pocket. She pulled out a matchbook. She said, here's the address. Madeline's stomach 
turned at the thought. All, all she could do is mumble. I, I'll think about it. She spent the rest of the week on the streets looking for work. And at the end of the week, when it was time to pay her bill at the shelter, she reached in her pocket, and all she felt was the matchbook. It was all she had left. I won't be staying tonight, she said. She walked out the door. You know, hunger has a way of softening, softening convictions. Pride and shame, you never know that they're sisters. They appear so different. Pride puffs out her chest and shame hangs her head. Pride boasts, shame hides. Pride seeks to be seen. Shame seeks to be avoided. But don't be fooled. The emotions have the same parentage, and the emotions have the same impact. They keep you from your heavenly father. Pride says you're too good for him. Shame says, shame says you're too bad for him. Pride drives you away, yet shame keeps you away. If pride is what goes before a fall, then shame is what keeps you from getting up after one. You know, if Madeline knew anything, she knew how, how to dance because her father had taught her. Now men the age of her father watched her. And she didn't rationalize it. She just didn't think about it. She simply did her work, and she took their dollars. She might have never thought about it except for the letters, the letters the cousin brought them, not one or two, but a box full, and everyone addressed to her, and everyone from her father. Your old boyfriend must have squealed on you. He's come two or three times a week, complained the cousin. Give him your address. Oh, but she couldn't do that. He might find her, nor could she bear to open the envelope. She knew what they said. He wanted her home. But if, if he knew what she was doing, he would not be writing. It seemed less painful not to read them, so she didn't. Not that week, nor the next week when the cousin brought more, nor the next when he came again. She kept them in her dressing room at the club, and she organized them according to the postmark date. She ran her finger over the top of each with tears coming down her cheeks, but she couldn't bring herself to open one. Most days, Madeline was able to numb her emotions. Thoughts of home and thoughts of shame were shoved into the same part of her heart. But there were occasions when the thoughts were too strong to resist. And like the time she saw a dress in the clothing store window, a dress the same color as one her father had purchased for her, a dress that had been far too plain for her. With much reluctance, she put it on and stood with him before the mirror. My, you're as tall as I am, he told her. She stiffened at his touch. Seeing her weary face reflected in the store window, Madeline realized she'd given a thousand dresses, and she'd give a thousand dresses to fill Papa's arms again. She left the store that day and determined never to go back that way. In time, the leaves fell and the air chilled. The mail came and the cousin complained, and the stack of letters, yeah, they grew. She still refused to send him an address, and she still refused to read the letter. 
Then a few days before Christmas Eve, one more letter arrived. Same shape, same color. But this one had no postmark. And it was not delivered by the cousin, you see. It was actually sitting on the dresser in her dressing room. A couple days ago, a big man stopped by and asked me to give this to you, explained one of the other dancers, said you'd understand the message. He, he was here? He, he was here? She asked anxiously. The woman shrugged. Yeah, I guess he had to be. He gave it to me. Hello. Madeline, she swallowed hard. She looked at the envelope. She opened it. She removed the card. I know where you are, it read. I know what you do. But this doesn't change the way I feel. What I've said in each letter is still true. But I don't know what you've said. With tears coming down her cheeks, she declared. She, she pulled a letter from the top of the stack and she read it. And then the second and then the third. And each letter had the same sentence. Each sentence asked the same question. In a matter of moments, the floor was littered with paper, and her face was streaked and streaming with tears. Within an hour, she was on a bus. I might make it in time. She barely did. The relatives were starting to leave, and Joe was helping Grandma in the kitchen when his brother called from suddenly, suddenly quiet den. Joe. Joe, someone's here to see you. Joe stepped out of the kitchen and he stopped. And in one hand, the girl held a backpack. In the other, a card. Joe saw the question in her eyes. The answer? The answer is yes. Madeline said to her father, if, if, the, if the invitation's still good, the answer is yes. Joe swallowed hard. Oh, yeah, the invitation is still good. And the two danced again on Christmas Eve. And on the floor near the door rested a letter with Madeline's name and her father's request. Will you come home and dance with your papa again? You know, I love this story because it's really the story of my heavenly father and your heavenly father. It's a story of a girl that got twisted and turned and went the wrong route. But what she later realized is really what her father, which is also, of course, represents God, our father, is, is all about. And that is bringing his kids home. I don't know where you are this Christmas. And I don't know exactly where you're at. Exactly what's going on in your life. I know that all across America right now, there are people in church, dressed up. Most of them with smiles on their face. Almost looking as if everything is good and right. 
And yet, to be honest with you, being a pastor for a while, I know that behind the smiles and the nice outfits are human hurting hearts. God's all about your heart. That's why he sent Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is the most overlooked verse in the Bible. It's the most overshadowed, easily forgotten, missed that address verse. And I memorized it as a child. It's found in John. In fact, everyone knows John 3, 16. But John 3, 17 has everything to do with Christmas. It's the message of Christmas. The Bible says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But God sent his son into the world so that we could have life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus, might have life. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way That's singular. He said, I'm the truth. That's singular. And he said, I'm the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even though he were dead, yeah, he's going to live again. He said, I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus is life. And Jesus was born. He was born of a virgin, just like the Bible had foretold in prophecy. But when Jesus was born, he was born a baby on a mission. And his mission was to seek and save everyone with hurting hearts. Sin hurts. Sin will pull you from home. Sin will make you think differently. Sin will, you crack the door to sin and sin will come in and do a whole lot of damage. You, you give sin an inch and sin will take hundreds and thousands of miles. Sin will rape you. When you thought sin just wanted to date you. And God loved your hurting heart so much that he says, not on my watch. I will send my son. You know, I got two boys. Two. I love you guys, but I ain't love you that much. Not that much. And that's why I'm me. And that's why he's God. Because he said, I love you that much. I'll give you my only son. And you know, the greatest thing about Christmas is the fact that it's the greatest love story ever told. Because the one that never sinned made the greatest exchange possible. The great substitution, the exchange happened where God came to earth and became man. So us fallen Sinners, yet pursued by God, could one day live forever in a perfect heaven. And he traded places. He left so we could go for your hurting heart. You know, part of being a pastor is to care about people and to love people. And and, um, sometimes just knowing people and where they're at as a pastor, if I... To be vulnerable for a second. I, I want that staples button, you know. I, I, I want to fix it. I, I want to I be over with it. I want to hit the button and, and say, that was easy. And it's done. And you don't have that problem anymore. You, you, you don't have to cut yourself anymore. 
We had the talk, and, and that pain that's so deep in your heart, you don't have to cut yourself anymore. You see, it's done. It's done. That, that was easy. And, and then this person over here, their marriage is going to hell. But, but I, I, I want to help them, and, and my heart in an instant would be to fix it if I could just fix it, but it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes I look for the button. Where is it? Just to, just to fix it. And yet only God can heal the hurting hearts. I don't know what your year has been like. I don't know what you've been through. But I know that God is for you. Don't believe a lie that he is against you. I want to tell you something. He's never been more for you. He's for you so much that he was born to die. That was his mission. But that's 50%. The rest of the 50% was he died so they could bury him and think it was done. And three days later, he could prove once and for all to everyone is you can't keep a good man down. And he got up out of that tomb, out of that grave. It was borrowed because he didn't need it. And he got up and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And you know what? If you're here and you think this is a fairy tale and you have doubts, welcome Welcome, my friend, because Jesus had disciples that did not even believe in him until after the resurrection. That's in the Bible. Thank you, Lord, because if you're like me, you have some doubts. I have doubt every time I get on an airplane, but it doesn't keep me from getting on, and it shouldn't keep you from getting on either. You see, he came to die But he died so he could be buried, so he could take all of your sin and your shame and your fears and your failures and your pain, and he could bury it as far as he could. And he could get up as free as he did, totally free. Jesus died so we could live. Jesus was born so we could live. Can I tell you, the other 50% is Jesus resurrected. And the Christmas story, that's the beginning, but he resurrected so that you and I could have forever life. Who doesn't want that? If you and I could sit at Starbucks and have a cup of coffee, I would take a chocolatey chip frappuccino and I would talk to you, and if we would just tell each other what was going on, the truth is there'd be some stories coming out of this room that would probably put tears in both of our eyes. And can I just tell you that the reason Jesus was born was to take what's wrong and make it right. Depression doesn't have to run your life. Divorce doesn't have to define you. And on and on and on it goes. Jesus is life. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You need Jesus. And you don't need Jesus for one day someday. Oh, happy day. You need Jesus today. Because without Jesus, dead men walking. You say, I'm not sure I buy all this stuff. That's okay. I pray that the Lord begins to prove to you the truth of his message. 
But I would simply say, you know, everybody dies. Why? Because everyone is sin. And God says, I love them so much. I'm not going to let sin get the victory. And the last words he says on the cross is, it's finished. The debt, my sin debt, that I racked up like a credit card debt, right? And I swipe that sin. <laughs> swipe. Ain't no one looking. Swipe. Swipe, and all of a sudden that account just keeps going. But guess what? He paid once and for all and in full. And all to him I owe. That's the story of Christmas. He was born to die, but he died to live so that you and I could have life. And he's the father that no matter whatever you've done, he won't love you any less. Where are you at tonight? Can't think of a greater night. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I can't think of a greater night than for people to say, you know what, Tim? I've got death. I, I maybe have religion. I've got baptism. Uncle so-and-so was a deacon, whatever. You know, Grandma, she was always on me. But maybe you don't have Jesus. In fact, the the Bible says this, that with the mouth, confession is made. You confess that you need a Savior. And only pride keeps you from confessing that. You, you confess that you need a Savior. And you believe in your heart that, that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he said he would do. And that was he came for me and he came for you. The Bible says if you'll do that, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says will be rescued, will be saved, will have eternal life. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, can I just ask maybe two questions briefly? The first one would just to ask this question. How many of you here, you'd say, Tim, you know what? I, um, I know that I know that I know that I don't have religion. I have a relationship. I, I don't have um, I don't have, it's not just the church, it's not any of those things, it's, it's I have a real relationship with life, and, and that's Jesus, like, like I know Jesus, Jesus knows me, we know each other, I have a relationship with him, it goes both ways, how many say, I know Tim, tonight, Christmas Eve, 2012, I have life, and you know what, my life may not be going um, perfect right now, but, but I know that Jesus has taken everything, my sin, my shame, my pain, my failures, my fears, and he paid the price on Calvary for me.